Worship team, thank you so much. What an amazing day. How about, how about these Dream Team t-shirts, you guys? I'm like, like, I like to look out and I just see a sea of red. It's like an Alabama football game or something. I don't know. Is that Roll Tide? I don't know. <clears throat> okay, well, hey, all right. I guess it is. <laughs> um, we're going to launch a new series this morning. And the new series is simply called One. It's called One. Some of you have noticed that we changed our church's name to One Family Church. One Family. And so today, as I introduce this series, what I want to focus on is the, the idea of One Family. What does it mean to be One Family? How many of you, how many of you guys ever go to family reunions? You may go to family reunions. Yeah, family. I love family reunions. Actually, I've got a lot of family here in town today, actually. My mom is here. My sisters are here. My cousins are here. I've got a lot of folks over here. Uh, and I just love being with family. I just, it's one of the things that I love uh, the most. And, and, you know, you go to a family reunion, and you get to see little babies that you haven't seen, little cousins having babies, and then you're meeting other people. And then, you know, you, you, you at least for me, like, we have a big family on both sides. On my mom's side, we're in the Pacific Northwest. They're all out that way. And I remember one time right after Rebecca and I got married, I brought her to a, it was actually a funeral, but it turned into a family reunion because everybody came. And we're all there, and I'm looking across this sea of faces. There must have been 200 people there. And I recognized my first cousins, and I recognized my immediate aunts and uncles. But then there were second cousins, and third cousins, and fourth cousins, and twice removed this, and you know, great this, and that, and whatever. And, and so I'm looking across this sea of people, and I only recognized maybe 25% of them. I did not recognize, if I had been walking out on the street, and you know, half or 30, three quarters of them had walked by, I wouldn't even know I was related to them, you know, because they're, they're, I just don't know them. Um, the other thing that I experienced at family reunions, and you probably don't experience this because your family is probably all completely normal and, you know, but like, but, but you ever go to the family reunion and like you look at some folks and you go, is it really possible that I'm related to that crazy aunt or crazy uncle or crazy guy? Do you, do you guys, none of you guys, okay, none of you guys, none of my family, I'm, not, I'm saying other people, right? Do you ever do that? Like, how can I actually be related? Let me just say this. If you don't think that, then they're thinking that about you. That means you're the one that is the crazy aunt or crazy cousin. Um, I, I want you to get a picture in your mind as we introduce this concept of one family. Get a picture in your mind of you and, say, your extended family at a, at a restaurant or at a banquet or at a campground or at a, at a park, wherever you guys gather together. Get a picture of what that looks like, right? It's you and some people that you know and some people you know less and some people you're immediately related to and some people you're less related to but you're still related to them. They're all family, right? Now, now, if you could zoom out a little bit and you start to see other parks and other banquet halls and other restaurants and, and you start to see other groups of families clustered together. And, and then if you could zoom out even further to where now this is going to bend your mind a little bit, but, but where you could see the whole planet, you could see every human being on the planet and you, you could see everybody from every different background and every continent and everything. Here's the reality that is kind of hard to get our minds around. The reality is this. Every single human being on the planet is related to you. This is, this is something that we don't, we, don't, we don't get our head around very often. But I don't mean like, I'm not even in the spiritual stuff now. I'm not, not allegorically. I'm not talking metaphorically. You are actually, if you were to go on Ancestry.com or 23andMe or one of these, you know, Ancestry, and you could trace your lineage far enough back, you could trace your genealogy far enough back, you would find out that every single human being on the planet is biologically related 
to you. I've got a biologist in the second row nodding vigorously right now. I got backup. You are related to, to so, so the reality is, whether you realize it or not, every single human being on the planet is a member of your family. Now, maybe, maybe it's an extended member, okay? Maybe you're not second cousins. Maybe you're 50th cousins. Maybe you're 100th cousins. Look around this auditorium this morning. Just take a look around. This is, this is a crazy thing for you to ca- capture, but I want you to get this so we can, so we can you know, move forward in this sermon. Every person in here is related to you, and you are related to every single person in here. If you go back far enough. Now, this is the interesting thing about human origins, people who study human origins. And you can be a, a young earth creationist. You can be an old earth creationist. You can be an intelligent design proponent. You can be an atheistic evolutionist, or you can be a theistic evolutionist. Wherever you stand on any of these strands of human origin thought, whichever camp you're in, there's one thing that they all agree on. They all agree that we all share common ancestry, that we all come from the same source. Whichever camp you're in, everyone agrees that, in fact, we're all related. We're actually one family. But here's the other thing. Here's the problem. The problem is that from the beginning of time, human beings have have turned against each other. Family against family, brother against brother. If If you look at the book of Genesis... Genesis, you look at the Bible, open to the first page, it starts off great. <laughs> first chapter is amazing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it's just this explosion of like this life that happens, right? Flip over to page three, all right? And one brother is picking up a rock and crushing the skull of his brother, and his blood is being spilled. The first homicide, fratricide, three pages in. You barely even get started, and we're turning against each other. The, the, the theologians call this the descent of, of man. They call it the fall. There's a theological term for it. It's called the fall. The fall is just this recognition that as human beings, we are, we are plagued by envy, lust for power, greed, right, shame, and we, we, we seek our own benefit to the detriment of our own brother and our own sister. That's the history of human beings on the planet. Even if you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you don't believe in a theological term called the fall. If you just look at the arc of history throughout all time on every continent, in every generation, you will see the plague of people looking out for themselves to the detriment of others. It's, it's baked into, it's part of the human experience. It just comes out of us, right? It comes out of us, and in, in, in we see it in the ravages of war, where people from be, the beginning of all time were killed each other by, by the sword, by the spear, by the, by, the, by the gas chamber, by the noose, by the bomb, and they, and they destroyed one another's lives, brother against brother, one family, pitted against each other. We saw it in the ravages of, of slavery throughout, throughout history. Bondage of another people, oppression of another people by one people over another people. We saw it in, 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 in instances of, uh, of, of diaspora or displacement where one group of people, a people group would move in and displace an entirely different people group. And without respect to what was happening to them, genocide and, 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 and this sort of displacement, right? We see this throughout history. And, and it's, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's family against family. It's brother against brother. It's sister against sister. It's, it's crazy cousin against crazy cousin. We're, 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 we're at each other from the beginning of time. 
We've been doing this. Even if you look at a time like now, and believe it or not, I know this feels like a very divisive time, and it is a very divisive time. This is an era of relative peace compared to some other eras that we've been in, right? This is an era of relative peace. But even now, we see a, a wave of, of, of conflict and hostility, animus and violence towards one another. We see it on the streets. We see it on social media. We see it uh, in our politics, right? I came across an article not too long ago, and it was showing um, how polarized we've become as a country in terms of, of, of our politics, uh, and how we vote, and how, and they've showed it by, by voting records. In fact, let me show you this graphic. This kind of helps to explain it. That top picture up there is 1973. The, the, the red and blue dots represent uh, Republicans and Democrats and the ways that they voted along with each other across party lines. In 1973, you know, of course, they, were, they had different political ideas, but they, they agreed on a lot of stuff. And then you can just watch 73, 74, 77 moves on down all the way down until you get to this one here. This is this is actually this is 2011. I think it's probably even separated more now. This is how far apart we've gone. There's like literally no overlap. There's no. And not only do we just disagree with each other, we we can't disagree with each other without dehumanizing each other and devaluing each other and divorcing ourselves from each other and degrading each other. We can't. We we just have moved so far apart from each other. And this is the world into which a first century blue collar worker, a carpenter came and, and he had a message and his message was actually in one way, incredibly simple, and another way, very profound. His message was this. He came and he said, hey, everyone, we actually have the same father. Wherever you come from, whatever tribe, tongue, or nation, we actually have one father. I know because I'm his son. I know, and so I've come here to tell you that, that we have one father, and, and he's calling us to come back together. He's calling us to love one another. He's calling us to be at peace with each other. He's calling us to, to, to see each other as one family. He started preaching things like, you know, turn the other cheek and, and uh, love your enemy and pray for those who abuse you and do good to those who despitefully use you. He started preaching this message and the message was too radical. It was too, it was too crazy. It was too, it was, it, it was too destabilizing. Not just to one side, to both sides. There were the Roman, the, the, the secular Roman government, and then there was the religious uh, Jewish uh, leadership. And, and his message was too radical for both sides because it, was dis, it, was, it threatened to dismantle the power structures on either end. It was just too out there. It was too, and so both sides began to plot. How can we get rid of this guy who is preaching this thing? And there's this groundswell of support and people are starting to buy into this. And he thinks he's the son of God and he's preaching this message. How do we stop him? And so they began to plot to kill him. And the scripture teaches us that they devised a plot to capture him. And they started coming by night, one night, with torches and with spears and with swords. And they started to surround the area where he was and the, the noose began to tighten and, and, and he was there with his disciples. And the scripture says something really interesting. It says that Jesus began to pray. He began to pray. And you know what he was praying for? You know what he prayed for? This, is, this blows my mind. You know what he prayed for? He prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed that we would be one family. Let me read you the prayer. This is the prayer. The, now listen. This is the prayer the night that he was about to be captured 
and tried. The following day, he would be scourged to crown a thorn on his head. He would be crucified on a cross. The night before he was killed, the night of his arrest, this is his prayer. He says this, I pray for those who will believe in me that they may be, help me out, one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, he said, will know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. This is his prayer. You've got to imagine this. The night that he's dying, the night, that, the night before his death, the night that he's being captured, he's praying that we would become one. That's his prayer. That's your final prayer. That's the last thing you want. You want your people to become one. You want to bring people and God back together in love. That's what your prayer is at the final moments of your life. And if you look back at the text, you start to discover that this was his mission all along. This is what he came for. He came to bring every tribe, nation, and tongue back together as one under God. That was his mission. That's why he came. That's why the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anybody else in the Bible was with a woman from a different ethnicity, a different culture, a different tribe, a different language, a different religion than him. That's the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anybody, or the woman at the well. It's the longest. Re- That's why his most famous parable is about a Samaritan, a person from a different culture, a different tribe, a different ethnicity, and how that Samaritan reached out and helped somebody else who was not one of their own, how an outsider became an insider. That's why the night he was betrayed, he prayed that we would become one. That's why, now watch this, the, night, the day that he was crucified, the scripture says that the veil in the temple that separated the Holy, the holy of Holies from, from the rest of the world, the veil was torn in two. Why? So that every human being on the planet, no matter where you came from, no matter your background, tribe, nation, tongue, ethnicity, culture, would have access to the Father through the Son. That's why when he, when he gave the Great Commission, he said, go into, help me out, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's why on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in the languages of the people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. On the That's why that when, when Philip was preaching a revival in Samaria, the Holy Spirit directed him to go down to meet an Ethiopian on his way home back to uh, the kingdom of Ethiopia so that he could convey the message of the gospel to his people in Ethiopia. That's why, I mean, if you start looking at it, it just happens over and over. That's why when Peter is, is praying on the, on the, on the roof, uh, uh, God comes to him in a vision and says, Hey, you're distinguishing between people that I don't distinguish between. I need you to go preach to these Italians, these Romans. The, yeah, and, it's, and Peter's like, wait, the ones who killed Jesus? Yes, because they happen to be your brothers. You're your enemies, but they're your brothers. So go preach the gospel to them. That's why in, in Revelation, John has a vision. And his vision of the end is that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, people from every area in the globe, every geographic region are standing before Christ and worshiping him as one. So you look at it. It's from the beginning to the end. The whole mission was to bring people and God together as one in love, one family. 
That's the mission. That's the goal. That's the aim. And then the Apostle Paul it starts to, to, to even clarify this mission even more. Let me read you something that he writes, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in, in Ephesians. It says this. He says to us, he's writing a letter. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And now watch what he does. There is, come on, help me out. There is one body and just as you were called to, when you were called, you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you think he wants us to get the power of one? Do you think he wants us to understand that we are one, that we are one family under one God? Here's how he writes it to the Galatians. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is this, and and it's not that, it's not the Apostle Paul does not recognize that there are men and women and and, and Greeks and Jews. And he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't recognize it. He, what he's saying is that every identity that you attach yourself to and to which you are attached becomes subordinate to your identity as a child of God and a brother and sister to everybody else. Every other identity. So, so your, your ethnic identity, your racial identity, your sexual identity, your family identity, your, your status identity, it's all subordinate to your primary identity, which is you are a child of the Father and a brother and sister to every other human being on the planet. You are one. You are one. So how does this shake out? Like, well, like how does this actually, you know, this is big theological ideas, right? How does it shake out? Well, it starts to shake out in the, in the New Testament. We start to see how the Apostle Paul teaches and, and how other apostles teach us how to, how to, how to apply this, this truth in our lives. And it starts with a sense of shared status. That's the first part of what you need to grasp. It's, it's, it's a shared status. In other words, a shared status means that your value and worth is no greater than and no less than the, the value and worth of every other human being on the planet. I mean, we can say that, right? We can, but do you really, really get that? Your value and your worth is no greater than and no less than the value and worth of every other human being on the planet. Can I just talk real talk for a minute with you guys and get like into some stuff? I want to talk about how much time do I have? Um, I, have, I have like a four-hour sermon, and I've only got about eight minutes to finish it. Okay, so I, I finished half of it um, in the first service, so I'm going to try to get three-quarters of the way through it in this service. Um, let me talk about race for a minute. I want to talk about race because that's, a, that's one of the, the big issues of our day. And, and I want you to I wanna invite you to look through your entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Look through the entire Bible, and what you will find is no reference, no reference to the concept that we know as race. It's not in there. It's not a theological idea. It's not a theological concept from the scriptural standpoint. I would also invite you to have a sit-down discussion with any biologist at Washington University or University of Missouri-St. Louis or Lindenwood or wherever, SLU, or now i got to go through all of them. But anyway, any biologist at any reputable institution, they will also tell you that there's no biological basis for the construct that we know as race. It's not there. So, so it's not that we're not different. We're different. We have different uh, backgrounds, and, and our differences arise out of, 
uh, out of different geographic regions and different climates, wherever your ancestors came from, that's going to shape the way you look and the way, you know, who you are. And so it's not that we're not noticing differences. It's that this idea that we are rigidly classifiable objectively as distinct from each other is a false concept. It's not a real idea. It's an idea that was constructed in the 15th and 16th century. Do you want me to just get totally real? Like, can we go all the way in on this? 15th and 16th century, it was an idea that was constructed. And the reason, at least part of the reason, that it was, that it was built as a social construct is that when one group decides to uh, objectify and dehumanize another group, it's easier to do that if you can classify them as objectively distinct from you. And then you can assign a lower value to that other group so that now you can do whatever you want to them and not feel so bad about it. it race as a concept was a justification for the abuse of brother against brother pretending that we're not brothers. Okay? So we're just getting into the deep end of the swipe. Just, just, I'm, going, I'm, I'm actually leaving town on Tuesday, so if you don't like this, I'm going to have my out-of-office reply email, and I'll hit you back in like two weeks after you've cooled down. So, <laughs> so here's the reality. The reality is this. These constructs that we have shaped, these are not, these are not theological realities, and they're not bio, biological realities. They're social constructs that we should, you know, they used to leech people in the 15th and 16th century, too. They had a lot of weird ideas about science back then, right? We should kind of maybe move away from some of those random ideas that they had. So look, look, at, look at how the scripture says, says it. 1 Corinthians 12. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Here's the way he puts it in 1 Corinthians. God has put the body together, meaning the, the body meaning you and I, followers of Jesus who are coming together. God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. He says, there, if, you start to, if you start to segregate yourself on the basis that you are distinct categories, you are missing the whole idea. I don't know, has anybody ever stubbed your toe? You stubbed your little pinky toe? Ever stubbed your toe? You know, it hurts so bad, right? What if your brain said to your toe, dude, that is not my problem? <laughs> you know, I'm the brain, you are the toe, you know, you stubbed yourself, and I got nothing for you, right? But that's not what the body does. When you stub your toe, your, your whole body goes, oh, ah, ah, right? Your whole body gimps over to the freezer and gets some ice and puts it. The whole body gets engaged when the toe is hurt, right? The body of Christ is like that. The body of Christ is, hey, we're all one. There's nothing that impacts one group that doesn't impact the whole group, right? In fact, if your respiratory system told your nervous system, I, I'm not, you and I are separating, right? Your body shuts down. It goes down. The, 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 the Christian worldview, the Jesus vision is that all are one. In all of our distinctness, in all of our differences, in all of our, in all of our diversity, we are unified. We are one. Okay, I'm going to keep going, all right? Because I've got about two, two minutes. We are all one. So here's what happens when you have shared status. When you have shared status, that leads to mutual service. Shared status leads to mutual service. I'm going to give a shout out to Colby Sheridan. Colby, are you in here this, this service or were you in the first? I don't know. There he is. All right, Colby Sheridan. All right, nobody knows Colby Sheridan. You guys don't know him. He's way back there. I mean, like five people know him. 
Nobody hardly knows Colby Sheridan. He's the leader of our lift team. All right, he's the, <laughs> somebody knows him and gave him a whoop whoop. Uh, he's the leader of our lift team. The lift team is the, are the people who come before the rest of us get here. And they're setting things up and putting everything in place so that when we come in, we just walk in and it's like, oh man, this is awesome, right? They're behind the scenes doing it. They're behind the scenes making it. You may not know this. In fact, I'm sure you don't. Colby Sheridan is the chief operating officer of, of Midwest Regional Hospital. He's a guy who could pull rank on a lot of us here and say, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a COO, okay? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm, my status is here and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a guy who, you know, puts speakers up, okay? That's just not me. I have people do that for me, right? The, the first time I, I, I realized how much I loved Colby Sheridan was the time that I was coming out of the church super early on a Sunday morning. I was coming out of the family center at like 7 o'clock in the morning. And Colby Sheridan is out there with a leaf blower blowing cigarette butts off the sidewalk so that when the rest of us come to church, we don't have to walk through all the trash uh, on the loop because he recognizes that he has a shared status and a shared status leads to mutual service. All right. Love you, Colby. Um, now you all know Colby. All right, good. Um, join his team. All right? All right. Um, so the scripture says this, Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Why? Why did, why did Christ give the church these people? To equip his people, to equip the saints for works of service. Why? Just so that we can randomly serve one another? No. So that the body of Christ may be built up until what? We all reach unity in the faith. The reason we serve each other is so that we can come together. There is a theological underpinning to somebody sweeping cigarette butts off the sidewalk. It's to bring oneness. It's to create one family. It's to bring God and people together in love as one. As one. As one. So... I'm going to read one more. First Peter 4. Each of you, it says, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. He's saying all of us, you're all parts of the body. You got, all, you got toes, you got ears, you got noses. But we're all coming together to serve one another so that the body can be built up. And it's not a random form of service. It's not just so that we can serve. It is for what I want to call an aligned purpose. An aligned purpose. The scripture is not saying we're all alike in every way. It's saying we're all aligned in certain ways. We're aligned in purpose. We're aligned in mind. We're aligned in spirit. We come together. I'm going to give you three verses. We're going to skip, skip a slide. And we're going to come down to three verses. Philippians 2.2 says, Be like-minded, having the same love, being, in, being one in spirit. All of you, it says in 1 Peter 3.9, Be like-minded. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10, be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. What it's saying is this. I want you to move together as a family towards one common purpose. You don't have to think alike in every single way, but you have to be like-minded in the purpose and the vision and the direction that you're going. I want you to become one. Now, here's the question, and I'm going to wrap this up. How do we do this? Right? I mean, by what? What's the animating force that allows us to do this on a consistent basis? Because people have talked like, about this kind of thing forever. There have been efforts, you know, to, to, to bring people together. There were songs, there are dances, there are kumbaya moments, you know, around the world. And, 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 you know, they fall apart. It doesn't work, right? There's one animating force that Jesus says that can make this thing work. It's the force of divine love. 
And it's not, it's not, divine love is not just regular love. It's, it's divine love. It's the love that you get to convey to somebody else only when you only have the capacity to do it when you've experienced it from your father. You cannot love someone unconditionally until you have been loved completely, until you have received the love of the father so comprehensively, you have received it so fully that now you can turn to the person that you do not like and love them unconditionally and recognize them as being a person formed in the image of God, which means they are God's child, which means they are your brother, which means they are your sister, which means they are your family, which means we are one family. We are one family. I want to end. I want to end with this. I want to end with this. I got through three quarters of my sermon. I got a quarter of a sermon I'm going to preach to you when I come back in town, okay? I want to invite you to a family reunion. And I want to invite you to begin expanding that family reunion beyond these walls, beyond this city. I want, I want to invite you into Christ's vision, Christ's mission, the thing that he came for, I want to invite you to participate in, the, in receiving the divine love that he has for you so that you can convey it to everybody else that you meet. So that you understand yourself as having a shared status. So that there is, there is mutual service. You're willing and able to serve other people towards an aligned purpose empowered by divine love. Receiving God's spirit into your heart. Receiving the power of Christ into your heart because when we do that when we do that then we actually fulfill Christ's prayer that he prayed the night he was betrayed Father I pray that they would become one make them one that's what I want so that every tribe, tongue and nation from around the globe could come back and recognize ourselves as one family under God would you stand with me right now? I want to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to just pray for you right now. And as I'm praying, I would pray that you would ask God to reveal his love for you, to you. His unconditional love for you. Because when you begin to experience that, it will just flow from you. And then you'll forget, and then you'll mess it up, but you don't have to claw and fight your way back because he's right there just emanating love back to you. That's who he is. That's who you are. That's who we are, one family. Let me pray. Father, your presence is, is, is here and doing work in our hearts. I pray for those of us who need to be reminded of your love of your unconditional love for us, of your grace, your mercy, your power, and your mission, your vision for us, that we might become the emissaries of love and the ambassadors for divine love on this planet, breaking down all of the walls of hostility and reconciling the world to one another and ultimately reconciling every human being on the planet back to you. 
Father, we pray that our life would fulfill your vision and your mission, that the world would become one. We pray this, Lord, to your honor, to your praise, and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen. You guys have an awesome week, and we will see you next Sunday. God bless you.